Big Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne, big time. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. The biggest, the baddest, the best. Brad Thorne. Hello and welcome to this week's Action Replay Extra Time podcast. Billy, Gavin and Ian here in studio talking about all things Champions Cup rugby, last night's Champions League and Ireland's World Cup playoff draw against Denmark. First of all, lads, we'll get into it later, but are we happy with our draw for the World Cup playoff? Denmark, happy? Um, I suppose at first when I did hear it, I was happy. But um, Ian pointed out to me before we came on as well, it's it's kind of a thing that Ireland might think they're a bit better than they are in terms of being favourites and it could be very dangerous for us. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Like when On paper, Denmark are the easiest team and we got the home leg second as well. So on paper, it's the it's the best draw possible, but for that reason I'm kind of worried they're also the lowest ranked team out of all the potential candidates we could have had they're the lowest ranked team having said that they did just beat Poland 4-0 in their last competitive game yeah. now Poland already qualified but still a 4-0 uh, defeat to Poland is a victory against Poland is a pretty good result yeah it's 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 a very decent result and it's one that we can't take lightly and it's I'd almost hope that the Irish players take note of that and the Irish public take note of that and realise that we are not the favourites going into this because if we act like we're going to be the favourites, we're we're going to lose. It's simple as that. Yeah, well, Ian, Ian's right. In fairness, like when you do put it in perspe- into perspective, Ireland couldn't even beat Poland in the last qualifying campaign, which was less than two years ago. So it's definitely worth noting that. And yeah, it's it's not as good as we really think. Well, we'll get into more in-depth analysis on our potential World Cup qualifiers uh, or the uh, playoff even. But first, we're going to talk about Rugby Champions Cup action has just finished as of the weekend gone by. Leinster versus Montpellier. Ian, you and I were actually at the game. What we did were. you think uh, overall from um, the performance? It was, it, was, it was a bit of a scrappy performance, but overall it was, it was quite good. Like, um, we, we, we dealt with Montpellier's threat, I think, quite well. Um, they got over for a couple of tries, but Nadolo, he's just too strong. You can't stop him sometimes. Um, it, it was you know, it was a good performance. We got a bonus point, which is any, like all you can really ask for, three, three tries. Um, Carberry had a bit of an off day, but at the same time, he was the one who got the scoring started, so you can't really criticise him too much for that. Um, Glad to see you're already saying we. You're in that camp. We beat Montpellier. You you're, um, you're, you were playing on the day. I was. I was. I was there. I yeah. was. <laughs> I was. I was ready. I had, I had my. I had my kit on me. Um, no, it was. I. Uh, I just. I don't. I, well, I wouldn't follow rugby that that closely. But I was at the match. Um, and yeah, like I just. I've. I like. I do technically live in Leinster now. So yeah, yeah. You are a Leinster man. Well, I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a terrific performance. Montpellier came over with a huge pack. I think you know many people are saying that they take on pretty much nearly any international team in terms of just sheer size. Even though they've downsized from a couple of players last year, they've they've lost one or two second rowers, a couple of back rowers. Um, but they've brought in Louis Picamo to just take over the the whole physicality element to kind of create that platform for such players like you know Nadolo or Benjamin Fall. Great to see him back. He's had a few years with France and he's been uh, topsy-turvy with injury but I think Nadolo was just just an incredible 
incredible specimen to see in the RDS. You know, it's quite a small picture. I don't know if people have been to the RDS, but it, it looks small. It looks enclosed. You know, it's completely different size of pitch, I think, anyway, to, to the Ordi, uh, to the Aviva, even regardless of the, the stadia around it. But uh, Nadolo taking up that, 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 that wing against Leinster was, a, was just a serious, a serious uh, player. And to see Adam Byrne bounce off him so many times as he did, uh, you know, th- not through lack of trying, but he definitely made up for it in the, the attacking sense because his defensive game certainly needs a lot of work. You mentioned Joey Carberry, Ian. You weren't, you weren't particularly happy with his performance? Um, he, it, was, it, was, it was quite scrappy. He had, he is, he had moments of brilliance, uh, obviously with the try or whatever, but he, his kicking left a lot to be desired. And he, there, was, there, was one, there was one moment in the second half where, you know, he... He dropped the ball, dropped the ball like inside his five meter line yeah. with with Montpellier. Unfortunately, it was it was given I think as a scrum to Leinster anyway. But you know you can't really be doing that um, against a side like Montpellier who who have as you said so much quality. Yeah, um, for, uh, yeah. fourteen of the starting fifteen for Leinster were Irish qualified players, which I think is an incredible statistic when you come back from when you compare it to Montpellier with where only two I think of the entire 23 have been brought up in the Montpellier underage system Louis Piccomo played his early rugby for Montpellier but as you know he spent most of his time in Toulouse and their fly half whose name I can't pronounce uh, was uh, <laughs> is just an underage player he's been playing with France in their 20s and um, he's their only other player after that every other player has been brought in whether it's from Georgia South Africa from Jake White so yeah. it's it's a pretty pretty good model that Leinster have compared to the money that Moed Altrad has, has invested Gavin are you, are you glad to see Leinster using Irish players above all else yeah it's definitely good for the Irish game you know like for Leinster and pretty much all the provinces really when you put it into perspective that we do use Irish players it's good for Irish rugby especially with only the four provinces but um, my question would be now is is that a sustainable model that Montpellier, Montpellier can continue or will they have to eventually look towards academy and try and produce these players? Well, I think Nathan Hines before and after the game, uh, Montpellier's new Fords coach said that looking at the Leinster conveyor belt, you know that school system in in the province, it's it's incredible, and he was very aware that you know that the financial element of Montpellier might be able to be sustained. You look at Toulon, who uh, were promoted from the. The Pro D2, who eventually went on to win three Heineken Cups in a row, three Champions Cups in a row. Uh, now, where are they? You know, they're, they're yeah. stumbling. They're not competing uh, at the top end of the, the top 14. You know, consistently, they are making playoffs, but they're not really challenging. The light, although yep. they did beat La Rochelle, who look, who look like the real deal. I would say that, that that financial model isn't sustainable, no, and that you can pump as much money into it as you like, but if there aren't players coming in and competing for these these ageing players, I think that's it as well, that, that these big books mm. are going to players who are on their way out, who do have a season or two left in them, uh, the likes of, you know, in Toulon, Johnny Wilkinson and Joanne Smith and Backy's both, uh, Ali Williams, you know, these guys are all, are, are all retired now and it's only a year or two after their success in the Champions Cup Aaron Cruden, Louis Piccamole, you know, they are younger players. They are in their 30s. Ruin Pienaar's 33, but he looks fit uh, fit as ever, which is, is good to see. And Moed Altrad, the the owner of Montpellier now, who's who's kind of brought the fist down on the club. He's he's bashed out any flair champagne rugby that they did have. He brought in Jake White, the, the 2007 world winning uh, World Cup winning coach, and, and he brought in a brutish loads of South Africans. They broke so many player policies in terms of imports and 
there's some shady dealings going on with bribes over players being banned to yeah. to short yeah, yeah. with bannings commission with so it's it's that financial model is already being undermined by the money that he is throwing around in the wrong way so Gav, I think you're definitely right to ask that question and no I don't see uh, the Montpellier formula continuing for very long. Yeah, I think another another reason why the why why you know as you put it the academy of Leinster versus the money of Montpellier, the reason the academy works so well is that they you know they're used to playing with each other. They're used to how each other's styles work. Whereas with Montpellier, if you're signing players left, right, and centre every year, it takes time for them to gel together. And in a rugby season, especially with the Pro Fourteen, you don't really have that time. Because mm. you're going to get picked off early on, then you're out of the you're out of the title campaign already. Yeah, I think that continuity that you're talking about is is so important, and like you said, it's something that players have just from being in an academy together, um, training together. I know Leinster are very good at integrating their academy into the full squads training sessions. Uh, looking at Carberry still, many people are with Rob Carney just being permanently injured from from now until <laughs> he eventually decides to retire. Um, <laughs> Carberry, do you think Carberry is an option at fullback? He's got flair, he's got talent. Like Ian said, his consistency is, is you know, his own is undermine is what undermines him. His kicking out of hand potentially could could be a weakness. Do you think Joe Schmidt, someone who's so focused on detail and and solidity, would pick someone like Carberry for the upcoming Autumn Internationals? I think for the Autumn Internationals, he's definitely an option because it gets him that 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 experience of playing international rugby at fullback and you know his inconsistency will only improve with experience and matches played so I think it's definitely an option and I think for non-competitive matches I think he should definitely be given a shot um, I think Zebo Zebo's been put out in the wing uh, for the majority of his Ireland career I think he he has a he has a chance to prove himself at fullback as well yeah um, uh, Conway uh, is another player who deserves a shot Um He's he's getting on a bit in years, but I think we've wasted Jared Payne uh, in the Ireland team, putting him in at centre. Uh, when it, when you look at him when he's playing for Ulster, he's playing at fullback. He's enjoying himself a lot more. Mm. So, if we had put him at fullback earlier on, I think now it's a little bit too late. But if we put him at fullback earlier on, I think he could have been a much better player than what he was. Yeah, Jared Payne was at fullback for Ireland's victory over England in last year's Six Nations. Uh, it was his first game back after a long injury, a couple of you know rusty drop balls. But other than that, he does look very comfortable with that extra bit of allowed yeah. space. Having said that, and it's something that you know brought in, uh, it was brought into Warren Gatlin's thinking when he was chosen for the line. That is Jared Payne that we're talking about. Is that in all of Ireland's major victories over the last two seasons, Jared Payne's been at number thirteen for them. Yeah, um, well, you can't you can't just put a major Ireland victory purely on the fact that Jared Payne was playing at thirteen, though. So, okay. like, yeah, okay, he was playing thirteen. He'll do a job at thirteen. He's great defensively, but you know he lacks that at thirteen. He lacks that explosive yard of pace or that little bit of creative um, creative freedom at thirteen that he would have that he would like. I think. Okay, so if you're not going to put the emphasis on defensive solidity at number thirteen. You know, Brian O'Driscoll had it, but he also had that yeah. flair, that offload. Who would you like to see at thirteen? Um, I mean, well, you've got you've got Henshaw, Henshaw and Ringrose. I think are the two are the two people who should be starting. It's, it's also important to note that that what's Ringrose is very injured. He yeah, is very he's, injured. He's very injured. Very at the injured. Moment. Yeah, he's yeah, a dislocated shoulder. T- talking in an ideal world at the moment, that um, Henshaw and Ringrose should be Ireland centre partnership for until both of them are crocked permanently. Okay, <laughs> but um. 
Yeah, I think for the moment, Payne probably is the second best choice at 13. We don't really have that many. I think Luke, Luke Marshall, before he had the series of concussions, would have been an option as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think Payne at the moment still is the second best choice. So the question I'd ask now actually is, in regards to the fullback situation, is it too early for the likes of Cabri to come in and face South Africa in November at fullback, or would you like to kind of see Zebo take that place? Um, I I or really li- I really like Simon Zebo. Yeah, uh, I Jared, do too. Jared Payne still suffering from um, uh, vertigo or or um, migraines that that made him uh, late withdrawal from uh, the Lions tour, or he had to leave early. Pardon me. Um, I really like Simon Zebo at fullback. I think he is given that extra bit of added space. I think he's got a brilliant left boot on him, a big left boot, and his work under Joe Schmidt since he has come in has just seen him steadily improve in terms of his solidity and his reliability, which is what I think Joe Schmidt really is looking for from his fullback. Um, I think Jared Payne has that as well, but like we said, he's out injured, and I think Andrew Conway is a uh, is a man that a lot of people in Irish rugby forget about. You know, he's played a lot of his rugby on the wing, but the majority of it this season has come at fullback for Munster until Zebo returned against Cast uh, just last weekend. I'd like to see Andrew Conway giving a shot, whether it's in the 15 jersey or in the, the, the reserve uh, back substitute, you know, in the 23 jersey. I just don't see Joey Carberry being brought in at fullback for Ireland's uh, internationals. I just don't think he has the experience or the solidity for Joe Schmidt to put him in as that last defender in the, the back line. Could you say it's worth taking the risks maybe against you know lower profile teams, maybe like Fiji? Is it Fiji I think we yeah, have in between the Argentina and... Ireland are playing Fiji and Argentina and I'd almost be prepared to put Argentina in, into that bracket as well. They have come, they've fallen mm. a, a fair distance since they've beat us since in that World Cup. The yeah, World yeah, since yeah. they made a mockery. They haven't pushed on. Um, Daniel Horcarde is, is still at the head coach and, he, and he's not he's not doing a whole lot in terms of that regard. Um, and they've lost a lot of players, you know. Um, Facunda Issa is still playing for Toulon. They haven't managed to bring him back. And I'd just be be conscious that the this Ita- this Argentinian team hasn't pushed on. You know, the likes of Manuel Montero, who who played against Ireland in that that tour, when we toured them a number of years ago. Uh, Santiago Cordero isn't getting his consistent game time. And these were the young players who were coming through who did put the pressure on Ireland uh, in the Millennium Stadium that time. But I think you're right, Gal. I think it would be really cool to see. Uh, Joey Carberry giving the shot against Fiji because uh, that would be an open game like we saw in the World Cup against England. They love to throw that ball around even though it's the 15s game. They they do see it as sevens. They they have huge uh, athletes like the likes of Nadolo uh, who who are great to see. And um, I think maybe Joey Carberry could see him uh, brought in at number 15 uh, against Fiji. But having said that, uh, who knows what stage Johnny Sexton will be in by the time yeah. that Fiji come by and we might need him at 10. I was about to ask Ash, could we see him at fly half? Um, there's one thing that that gets me going about Johnny Sexton and it's his... Uh, I can't, you can't call a, a player's commitment into question but in his Ireland career and in his Leinster career he, he, he takes a knee an awful lot of the time. Uh, he takes he takes the medics uh, time. He stops the play. He slows it down, and uh, he he. I don't know if it's a tactic of his or if he just needs a breather or he needs the little bit of attention. But during the Lions, he played three games in the space of seven days. 
He didn't go yeah. down once. He was going up against players like Jerome Kaino, Luatua, um, big backs in the in the Crusaders as well. He was, you know, hits were coming in and he didn't go off. He didn't limp off. And I, I just can't see, particularly at the later end of, of last season, I'd, I'd think I'd like him to come out and say that he was targeting the Lions and that he didn't yeah. put his whole heart and soul into yeah. Lencer because uh, he didn't. And for him to say that he did is just... Uh, is is. It's making a mockery of what he considers is his best. Yeah, I think when you when you look at Sexton and you look at the the, the injury problems he has had in the past, I think before the Lions tour, you could have had reason to say, well, look at the amount of concussions he's had, look at the amount of um, like head related injuries, just injuries in general that he's had, and you know maybe he's a bit past his prime. He's not able to to last the full match anymore, and then you get to the Lions tour and he like you said plays three games in the space of a week and he's he's fine so yeah I, I I agree with you I think he needs to he needs to either say it out loud that he was targeting the Lions over the last year mm. year and a half or he needs to put in performances now for Leinster and for Ireland that will rebuild that kind of trust yeah. amongst the Irish supporters definitely and uh, like we said, Robbie Henshaw was playing at 13. He had a terrific game. Uh, really brilliant to see him getting that little bit of extra space, that little bit of extra time that he doesn't have at number 12. Uh, he was playing alongside Eason Asaiwe and then Noel Reed, who who did miss some tackles, but I think he always does perform well when he's brought out. He's got great hands. Uh, he, has a, he has a good boot as well. And even though he's a smaller man, he, he's no pushover in... Uh, in the tackle uh, enough from Leinster we, we're just moving on to um, to Wasps and Larish uh, and Ulster uh, Ulster came away with the victory without a bonus point unfortunately which yeah. they, they maybe should have gotten against an underperforming Wasps side yeah Wasps Wasp Wasp have been pretty poor um, for their standards so far this year and I think Ulster being at home uh, they would have maybe expected to get um, that bonus point obviously they'd be very disappointed they didn't but even over the last, even over the summer, you know, and even continuing to the future, Ulster have lost some key players. Obviously, they lost Ruin Pinar to the aforementioned Montpellier. Um, Piatau is leaving in the summer, which is going to be a massive loss for them as well. But Ulster kind of, I think it's the same with kind of any any Irish province that they all have this kind of, like you called it, a conveyor belt system. And it's only a matter of time before Ulster get their next their next big superstar back yeah. in to, to replace them. They, you know, Piatau will free up a lot of money to maybe bring someone in, but it might also free up a lot of money to bring in a forward, which they, you know, they desperately need. Uh, Kieran Treadwell has, has done well for uh, for Ulster since coming in. He's only 21 years of age. He's Irish qualified. He's been capped under Joe Schmidt. Ian Henderson can play in that second row. But Marcel could see he hasn't been able to fill that void that Nick Williams has left because he's just been injured. I think he's only played five games in the last two years, or including this year uh, for Ulster, that ACL injury. And it's hard to see a player coming back to his best from having one knee construction to then a second knee construction. Yeah. Uh, looks like he's going to be out for nearly two-thirds of his three-year deal with Ulster. And uh, it's, you know, it's admirable to see Les Kiss sticking by a player like that. But at the end of the day, um, and he does have a three-year deal, but Ulster needs success this season. It's only a few weeks into this season. The the rest of the, the, the season is on the horizon and they need to start uh, you know, pulling together victories from that. Y- you mentioned Pieter. What, what's great to see about Pieter at the moment is he's linking well with Ulster's new star, Jacob Stockdale. Yeah, um, it's it's good to see that you know Pietau who's been there who's been there for a while now and Stockdale who's just coming up through the ranks and they're able to gel instantly. 
that's 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 very good to see and i think it's it's down to the it's down to the management and the coaching staff yeah that makes that happen you know training week in week out day in day out and it's it is it is something that is undervalued i think in teams that when you have someone new coming in and they just gel instantly it's it's the best thing that can happen for a team yeah and then just the last last piece ruby will look at is uh monster versus cast uh, i know that the the two of you wouldn't be huge ruby fans your 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 interest is in soccer but even just from a structural structural point of view what do you think about monster's situation where they have a coach uh, in rugby now, it's different to soccer that they have a coach who uh, tells his his squad that he'll be leaving, not even halfway through the season. Um, from a, from a structure, from a solidity point of view, in a managerial position, what do you think that does to a squad to know that your coach will be leaving in a matter of months? Um, I wouldn't say it disheartens a squad. I think it kind of like you know, the players don't necessarily play for the manager anymore. Maybe. I don't know. It's 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 kind of strange when you wouldn't see it in many other sports, you know. Um, I don't know. I think I think it'll be hard for the Munster players to find motivation for the manager to actually motivate these players to play for him. Yeah. Because the players know that he's not in it for them anymore necessarily. Yeah. But um, it's a tough situation, really. I'm. I haven't got much to add to it, really. Cause I would. I would. I would say. Well, like the players are obviously going to be a little bit disheartened by it, but I would also say that. Um. The monster coach, he like if he was smart, he he'd obviously realize that the players probably aren't going to be playing for him, like Gavin said. But if he can get them to play for each other, and get them to play to make sure that the next manager, who does come in, is like see like he's seeing what monster are doing now, and he wants to take them to a new level. Yeah, I think it's important for the players to to play for each other as much as anything else to make sure that they keep um, success coming. I think that's that's a really good point that the two of you have brought that the manager maybe has to relinquish that idea that he has the players on side anymore. You know, Simon Zebo mentioned in an interview uh, yesterday that uh, his decision about staying with uh, Munster beyond the season that he's out of contract uh, will come down to to Munster and not the coaching structure that's there. And no one coach is going to make him stay. It'll be Munster and Munster Rugby alone. And on that. Um, you know, Razi Erasmus, the, the current Munster head coach who, who's making way for Johan van Gran, who's coming in, in supposedly in the 1st of November. And will he come in like to kind of work with the team but not necessarily take over? Or I think he's being brought in to, and then as the weeks go on, as the days go on, kind of like a his, handover. his influence exactly will, he'll get more hands on and Razi yeah. Erasmus will begin to, to let go. Um, and, you know, Razi Erasmus has brought. Uh, this Munster team in his first season to a Champions Cup semi-final and to a Pro 12 as it was last year final. Now they were they were heavily defeated in both of those games, but he has got proven success. He does have a, a clear message, and he is obviously able to, to to convey it. So I think what you you guys said on on if he's able to to turn their maybe thought process into rather than playing for a manager who delivers success is to turn their attention to playing for each other because they have a squad that, that you know, could potentially do damage in Europe. Yeah, um, I think that's that's a very good point you raise. And I think it's probably the best way to to, to introduce a new coach is halfway through the season is to like just let them, let them start, um, let them start with a little bit of influence and then just gradually build it up. Um, and I think especially, I think you could see that while the international break is going on, I think at the end of the international break, um, the new manager will have almost full control because yeah. he'll have, 
not everyone on the Munster team is going to be gone. Uh, obviously, got the likes of Conor Murray and CJ Stander and whatever going, but everyone else, like they'll they'll they're professionals. They're they'll be able to fit into whatever system. I think when you've got the young players who maybe aren't used to change, um, they'll they'll see this new manager. They'll the new manager will have time to work with them, and in like introduce his his mindset and tactics. And I think that's it's probably it's probably the best they could have timed this. Yeah, yeah. It's a, after the decision had been taken to to leave. You're right. This seems like the best possible way to to reintroduce. Uh, Moving away from rugby, we've got Champions League action that took place last night. Uh, Maribor versus Liverpool. Um, Chamberlain, do you think he's fitting into the system? Um, I brought that up now before we came on. Uh, Chamberlain came on in about, I think it was the 55th minute with about 35 to play. Uh, Jurgen Klopp hasn't given him much game time. You know, he's only started one game with Liverpool this season. Um, We're already heading towards November. Yeah. After, was it a club record transfer fee? I think I it don't was. Think it, was it? it was. It was. On, it was close. It was close it to was, forty million. Anyway. Yeah, it was close. I don't think it. And, it may have been. Yeah. And like when when this transfer first came true, now I did I did think it was a good it was a good buy, but as time went on, I feel like Jurgen Klopp hasn't really, hasn't really, I don't know, given the player a chance. Yeah. So last night he did he did he came on and Liverpool were already I think it was five 0 up at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it, it was it was only going to go well. Yeah, and Chamberlain did. He got his goal. He won the ball back, passed it off. To, I think it was Firmino, and Firmino put him through, and Chamberlain slotted away. But um, until then, when I was looking at his body language from watching the game, I didn't really, I didn't really think he was that, he was that tuned in. I still don't see him as really being a Liverpool player. Okay, I think Ian might probably agree with me here. Yeah, I mean he's he's not had the exactly the best of starts. Um, I'd still I'd still give him time. Uh, I think well, I think if he he would probably be going with the England squad. No, do they? No, they do they? Are they playing friendlies? Um, well, um, yeah, they would be. I'd they imagine would be. they'd have at least one friendly anyway. Yeah, so if if he's away to the squad, if he's away with the England squad for that friendly, I would say that's a probably a bad thing for him. Yeah, you'd want you'd want to give him time to work with Jurgen Klopp. I yeah, think. but I don't I don't necessarily think that he hasn't played well in Liverpool jersey. I just think that like he hasn't been given a fair chance just of yet to actually settle into the club. Yeah, well, I think a lot has been made on social media about his yeah about his performance. I think it was against City. I think it was the Leicester game that oh, he started, it? if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the where Leicester game. Yeah, a few a few pages kind of highlighted some of the awful mistakes he made. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was. He's not been he's not been getting getting uh, good reviews from from Liverpool fans yeah. for the majority either. But then again, I follow a lot of Liverpool fans on Twitter, and a lot of them were begging for him to start last night, and were very were actually very disappointed that he didn't. I mean, it's the sort of game where like you would have been expected yeah. to win, so you like give him give him a chance to to play the entire game yeah. and to to get into the pace of the game from the start. One thing that actually did surprise me, I know I know Billy's supposed to ask the questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna steal this. Um, Jurgen Klopp named pretty much almost full strength side with the only exception exceptional change that he made was actually playing James Milner hmm. like Jurgen Klopp did almost take a risk with injuries for a game like that that wouldn't yeah. necessarily be a game that he had to go full out to win well yeah I mean that's true because you've had you've had a pretty albeit boring but grueling nil all draw against United at the weekend um, yep. and it's unchanged side apart from James Milner I think um, it's it's a it's a massive risk um, for injuries, and it's you know he it, it could have he could probably should have avoided it, but at the same time, 
if you're looking at his point of view, you're looking at Liverpool's track record in the Champions League, it's not great. So he may have just wanted to make sure he got the win. You yeah. can definitely understand his thinking there, yeah. Um, looking again at Liverpool and Marbor, Salah's you know, really shown his lethal streak as of late. Um, are you impressed with his performance? Um, yeah, I was I was really impressed with him last night. He scored two goals. I think one of them is questionable. Him and Firmino both collided, kind of. The okay. ball went in, he claimed it. But um, his first goal was actually very good. He um, he got put through and he slotted past the goalie very well. Um, one thing Salah has been criticised for has been his finishing of late. You know, he seems to do everything brilliantly in Liverpool shirt. He like he nearly ripped United apart at times in the game on the weekend, as Ian mentioned, except just he hasn't quite been able to finish. And I think that's the case with a lot of Liverpool players as of late. So I think they needed that kind of that kind of victory with like Coutinho score and Firmino got two for the confidence, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on, uh, actually, who are Liverpool playing up next in the Champions League? They have a daunting trip to Wembley against yeah. the Spurs side, who we will who we're we gonna will move, move on, on to. to. Uh, Spurs, Madrid, uh, Harry Kane uh, has just been stringing together some some terrific performances. He's really shown his class, and it's great to see an English player performing in the Premier League and on the the world stage or like the European stage, like yeah. in the Champions League. Um, yeah, I mean Harry Kane, he's um, he's he has turned into everyone was saying in his first season when he scored twenty goals. Oh, he's just a one season wonder. He'll he'll and he's proven that he's proven those people wrong. Turned into probably the most valuable player in the Premier League right now. Yeah, more than um, there were, um, yeah, he's, I think his his hat, well, no, not hat trick. It was two two goals he scored against Huddersfield. On the weekend. Uh, it was a couple of weekends ago, and it was, um, I remember just one where like you look at Harry Kane, you're thinking right, he's he's kind of a target man build. You yeah. know, he's about six foot three, six foot four, quite strong. Uh, but the pace he showed to get away from the defenders as well, and to to score a goal. I think really highlights how much of an all rounder and how just how yeah. much of a complete forward he is, and he's he's quite injury reliable as well. Like he's he doesn't get injured a lot. He, I know he got injured for a bit last year, but he doesn't yeah. tend to get injured. And he's already proved his importance to England, scoring has, last yeah. minute goals in the last two in the last two matches. Yeah, I think one thing to note is that in I in the last twelve months particularly. He's, it's kind of been a bit of a coming of age. You know, he's proved that it was wrong in terms of consistency. As Ian said, he's not a one-season wonder. He's doing it on the international stage now for England with some crucial goals. And last night again for Spurs, you know, like with a game they really should, like, shouldn't be expecting much from, going to the Bernabeu, European champions. And it wasn't his goal, but he was definitely a crucial factor in it. He tried, he tried a little bit of a... A little, yeah. bit of a, a little cheeky flick and it came off Varane which did end up in the net but um, that goal is pretty much as much Harry Kane's it is, as it is Varane's so yeah. it's a coming of age really it, show, it shows that he is one of Europe's top strikers now and Europe are starting to realise that that he's not just doing it in the Premier League uh, yeah. on, on that game still um, a goal away to Madrid is you know a terrific result against you know su- such talent um, do you see Spurs you know, actually making waves this this Champions League. Do you think that they're able to compete in the the latter ends of the Champions League? I think, I I mean, it depends what Pochettino wants. I don't think they have the squad depth to maintain a Premier League challenge and a Champions League challenge. So I think it'll have to be one or the other. Um, if I were Pochettino, I would I would choose the I would choose the Premier League over the Champions League. But 
Um, at the same time, if he wants to, if he wants to go for the Champions League, I think he can. They've they've got the quality. Madrid haven't been exceptional in La Liga. I think they're only they they just won at the weekend there in their third. But um, yeah, no, they haven't been exceptional, and I think it was this was probably the best time to play them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're they're they have a good chance in now winning winning that group. Yeah. Um, with Madrid coming to Wembley, um, um, I think is it next match. I disagree with you there. I think they have a good chance of coming out of the group, but I I think Real Madrid will will be fired up by that result in particular coming to their home patch and taking a point. And it's not that Spurs are exactly at home when they're in Wembley either. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So um, yeah, I think Spurs will go well in Champions League as Billy asked, but um, not very far. Maybe quarterfinals, okay. best case scenario. They do have they do have a strong starting eleven, but don't necessarily have the depth to keep that to keep that challenge in the Premier League as well as Champions League. And Gavin, do you think that if they progress out of their their pool and, and make it to the quarterfinals, like you said, their pool, you're such a rugby man, yeah, their, their group. <laughs> do you think that, like Ian said, that they will they have invested too much at that stage? Will they be able to carry on it and conti- compete in the Premier League? Um, I don't think so. No, because you know when you finish you finish your group stage coming into December and you've got a solid two month period where. You can prepare for a Champions League campaign as well if you want because you've got the January transfer window and there's a two months there for, for you to make ground in the Premier League. So I don't think they would have invested too much, you know, because it is only they might only end up playing two games then in February if they do qualify from their group, yeah. which are in a good position to do after Dortmund's howler of a result last <laughs> night. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily that it's too much unless they do end up actually stringing together a good campaign but um, uh, it's it's doable. Just may, they might just lose a little bit of ground in the Premier League okay, if they're yeah. if they're going for the title. And looking to our last uh, game that we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about, uh, City versus Napoli. City came away with a two-one win over Napoli, and Pep Guardiola has um, uh, let me say that again. Pep Guardiola has come out and said that it's one of the proudest wins of his entire entire managerial career, not just uh, for City. Do you think... Um, Sorry, did Pep Guardiola actually say that? Yeah, he's come out and said that I did expect the game to be 90 minutes, to go 90 minutes because Napoli are an exceptional team. We had a good first half, 30, 35 minutes. We created two goals. Uh, we didn't finish the actions and he's come out and said that it's one of the proudest wins of his managerial career. That's, that's slightly bizarre. That's 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 a quote and a half coming from him, and he's won. Yeah, he has won he's, titles he's all over. The been shop. there, done that, and he comes out and says that's the proudest moment in the Etihad Stadium. In, I mean, in I mean, October. In, in his defense, if you're looking at it from his way, is it probably the weakest team that he has managed? Uh, um, not, not 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 counting last year's City. Yeah, uh, um, but, but I think this this year's City team is astoundingly strong. Yeah, it is, and like. That like that's that's the thing. I know Napoli are top of Serie A and they've been ripping it up in Italy, but at the same time, I think it was it's it's a, it's still a really strange quote because it's not like they destroyed Napoli. Yeah, it's like they looked like they were going to destroy Napoli because yeah, they, they did score two very early goals, a brilliant goal by Raheem Sterling who's on great form. He scored eight and eleven games, and a tap in from. Gabriel Jesus after a brilliant Kevin De Bruyne ball, but they didn't necessarily march to victory after that. Yeah, no, it was it was a bit of a slow finish. Um, yeah, it's that's a strange one because like this this is a man who's won, yeah, who's done everything, won everything there is to win in Spain and the Champions League with Barcelona. 
He won everything in Germany. Won everything in Germany with Bayern Munich. And now it looking like he's on his way to win everything. Well, not maybe not everything, but he's on his way to win major uh, titles in England now with City. Yeah. Well, despite losing two of their three games in the Champions League, uh, Napoli have a perfect... Uh, perfect record perfect record in, in Syria ah, yeah. yeah eight wins from eight um, and Guardiola's come out and said that he, he really does think that they have the quality to, to break Juventus's um, oh, six do. year stranglehold he's, he's come out and said I knew before we played and I know now they're one of the best teams in Europe at the moment it's one of the wins I'm most proud of in my whole career Napoli for the way they play of course they can win that league and I, do you think that maybe he's proud of this win because it's a, a win against a strong team in Europe you know, European silverware has eluded Guardiola in his career, particularly in PSG. Um, I suppose if I was to look at it from Pep's point of view to kind of justify why he's saying this, I'd actually kind of think, you know, like City are still a team who are still looking to establish a, yeah. a good European pedigree. And perhaps a result like this against such strong opposition who are in like unbelievable form, just like City is a massive victory but he's I think he still has overstated slightly <laughs> yeah I think, <laughs> I, think a bit. I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration now I'm not gonna lie okay um but other than that uh, it was you know it was a great victory for city like we said that they're they're doing very well in uh, in the in the Premier League and like you said it was a blistering s- start but a but a slow finish towards towards the end of the uh, of the game do you think city are able to compete both European and a European front and a domestic front yeah, yeah, hundred percent. They they have the depth in their squad to do that, no doubt. I seen the bench. They didn't even start Sergio Aguero last night. Okay. They have Yaya Toure. They've did Sa- Sane started. Who they've Sane started. They have um, uh, Sane Sterling. They've Gabriel David Lattuz, Silva. David Silva. Yeah, yeah it's quality it's, quality across the, yeah. the board. Uh, and before we round up the show, uh, just can we get your your last minute opinion? On Denmark, uh, we we said at the the beginning of the show. Uh, does it? Do you think it does look like our, our our best draw that we could have gotten from this group? I think if we look at it, if we look at it as it is the best of a bad situation, then yes, okay. because um, well, obviously the bad situation is we were always going to get a team that are ranked higher than us. Um, the yeah, they're they are the lowest ranked team of that bunch, and. Um, they really only have one or two star players. They've Christian Eriksen and Casper Schmeichel would be their two main people. Um, don't, don't forget Bentner. Bentner didn't start their last game though. Yeah, which that's is true. which is which is surprising because people laugh at Nicholas Bentner and you know how arrogant he is and he's a bit of a, bit of a joke. But he has a very solid international record for Denmark and he's always done well for them. So I don't I don't know if he's gonna feature much, but if he does, he is still a danger. Yeah, it's it's true. I think like Ericsson played very well last night. He will be he he will be the biggest threat really, and I feel like Martin O'Neill will know that. And I think especially for our trip to Denmark, which will be which will be the first first leg, we will we will just have to put emphasis on not conceding. I don't think yeah. Martin O'Neill is going to go there by any stretch of imagination to score. Okay. Yeah. Because that's not what <laughs> what Martin O'Neill does. <laughs> just not. <laughs> so he'll he'll probably look to take a nil nil from there and then. A one nil, two nil, scrape, scrape something home, in the Aviva, yeah. which is crucial. Like I, I'm actually still kind of baffled as to why us as a second C team get get the home leg 
for Sec- on the second leg, yeah. yeah, yeah, get the home leg for the second it's, leg. Which it it is it is a surprising advantage. Like you think you think you know the whole reason for two leg system is you know oh it's it's fair you know you get you get a one both teams play at home and it's aggregate. Yeah. But the like the having having your home leg second is it's a massive it's advantage. a massive advantage because you know what you have to do and you're at home you're usually confident that you can do it. Um, you've got the support behind you. And yeah, it's yeah. and plus we David Myler is missing for he's missing the, for the first leg, the which first would be leg, in Denmark, which would be in Denmark. Um, so which means because my my initial thoughts will be Martin O'Neill would start David Myler, yeah, to try and neutralize Ericsson, but I mean it does remain the only seen. the only thing I can see him doing now is either starting Glenn Whelan, which I really I hope knew he you doesn't. were going to say that. I I really really hope he doesn't do or. Um, he sticks James McLean at CDM again, Ooh. and puts James McLean on Christian Eriksen. I don't see that ending well at all. I don't see it for, ending well for either Eriksen or <laughs> McLean. It's, a, it's it's either Eriksen gets injured or McLean's got McLean's. Is we'll uh, we'll look into Denmark a little bit more next week, especially you know the intricacies of playing away and then home, and and you know the the, the balance between goals scored and away goals. But uh, I just have to finish on, and I was you know filled with a, a full sense of pride after our victory over uh, Wales. Overall, do you think Martin O'Neill? You know, has done a good job as Ireland's manager. Are you happy with Martin O'Neill? Before, very, very quickly. Before Ian steps in, yeah. I'll come in with a bit of positive, yeah, positive feedback. I'm I think, shoot it down. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Martin O'Neill has done some good things for Ireland. Not, not exceptional things. Not as much as he should have. But if you do look back at the results and you don't look at the actual performances and stuff that's happened, if you just look at the results in the last how how long is he in charge? Three years now. Uh, Three, yeah, three, three years. years. If you look back on them results, they speak for themselves. Yeah, you know Ireland have rarely been beaten, and they've picked up some exceptional wins along the way. So that would be my justification. Yeah, for him. I think he's he has done a good job, and he does get the results. Uh, the way he goes about them is questionable, but he does he does get the results. In fairness to him, and I think it does it does pay. Uh, it's it's worth mentioning that we were the second best. Def- we had the second best defense in all of the teams in European qualifying. I think, which is unprecedented when you think about our defense. Yeah, <laughs> our, <laughs> our defense. Um, I think that's the one thing Denmark are going to. I think the um, the reaction from the Danish on on Twitter was basically, "Oh God, no." Not Ireland, because <laughs> they know we're going to be tough to break down. We're going to go to yeah. Denmark looking for a draw. We're going and to if, be negative, but it it gets results. Like, yeah, I think like if we do go to Denmark, 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 <laughs> like very defensively, and we don't concede, it'll it brings back that kind of hope, you know. Like that's what Ireland live on, and we come to the Aviva, and you just know something special could and happen. It is it is worth noting as well that Ireland always seem to get a result when they need to. Uh, it it happens yeah. time and time again. It happened in Austria, it happened uh, in Wales, it happened um, Germany. Actually, the, if we didn't beat Germany that time, yeah, we wouldn't have qualified. We wouldn't for the have Euros qualified. Either. We wouldn't have qualified. We needed to beat Germany. Shane Long stepped up. How the mighty have fallen recently. But um, the uh, even even going back as far as Euro twenty twelve when Trapattoni was in charge, and we needed uh, we went to Estonia, and we effectively won won the playoff there. Um, we we just we just seem to do well. Okay, it's a little bit of a different story in in the actual tournaments, but 
but when it comes to qualifying when we need a result we usually get it and I think that's what gives me hope for 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 this playoff. Yeah. The old mantra of the Irish uh, with their backs against the wall. I want to thank Gavin and Ian for coming to the studio. Uh, this has been Action Replay Extra Time podcast. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm not surprised, surprised, motherfuckers. Motherfuckers.